Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Hello and welcome to the latest episode of the Brighton Rock Podcast with, as usual, me, Russell Guyver, and my co-host, Peter Marsh. Hello, Peter. Hey, Russ. How are you doing? Yeah, not too bad. Is Wales any sunnier than the last time I spoke to you? It actually isn't too bad today. It's been quite nice. Yeah. Marvellous. Marvellous. Um, back in Blighty soon, though, aren't you? Yeah, um, exactly. So, yeah. <laughs> we're, we're doing... Um... Heading to a pub as they're not open at the moment here. <laughs> we're doing um, a Chelsea preview we're recording it on Thursday so anything that's happened between Thursday and the match if you're listening to this there about um, apologies for any information we don't have because we may it may have happened after uh, we've spoken here uh, but we're doing so in order to get on uh, a couple of Seagulls over London members long-standing um, in fact they've been members longer than I have and I've been there for 15 years we have a special welcome to <laughs> Mr. Tony Brown and Kirsty Stewart. How are you doing? Very well, thanks. Yeah, good. Thanks, Russell. Excellent. A pleasure to have you on. Uh, Tony, you've been on briefly before. Kirsty, it's your very first time making your debut in the pod squad. Uh, Marvellous. Good to have you aboard. Tony, uh, Peter, uh, you can probably tell the story. We uh, People might recognise Tony's voice from an incidental interview we did at the end of an episode from Seagulls over London at a meeting. Um, where did it take place? <laughs> it was hanging outside. I think it must have been Chantry Lane tube station from memory, wasn't it? And we were all slightly mm-hmm. probably worse aware at that point. So, uh, <laughs> yeah, yeah I... the end of a Seagulls over London meeting is not a good time to have any kind of a conversation normally. Um, yeah, he's got yeah, we... more sense than us most of the time. <laughs> I have Tony to is say, a... I have... I have to say that I was actually on my way home and got, um, how should we say, um, uh, molested is too, uh, not the right word, but uh, I got uh, accosted is a good word by these two fellow drunks who came along and said, would you like to talk to our new um, Brighton Rock podcast? So, <laughs> Well, we, we singled you out as a voice of reason. I think, I think you're probably that action, Tony, amongst <laughs> all other things. I think you, you always make sensible points and pertinent points and that's uh, why we got you on and of course Kirsty as well um so first of all um you two you've been um Albion season ticket holders for a long time haven't you um but to put a spin on things and this is why you've we've got you on ahead of the Chelsea match on Tuesday Tony you've got a bit of a unique um position here in this <laughs> in this situation haven't you tell us about your status <laughs> Um, Status-wise, um, I'm a season ticket holder at both uh, uh, both Brighton and Chelsea. Um, I've been a season ticket holder at Chelsea longer than I have at Brighton. Um, 
So uh, it was a case of in the early days, um, my father um, was a Chelsea supporter. So when I was growing up, a lot like I suppose people of our our time, um, we followed the team that our dad supported. Um, my dad took me to to Stamford Bridge, um, and um, it was a case of I grew up with Chelsea. Um, I had a brief um, dual flirtation with Swindon Town back in uh, nineteen sixty eight, uh, sixty seven, sixty eight, I think it was when. Um, in those days, you got very little um, football on television, but um, Swindon actually played West Ham United in a League Cup. I believe it was a quarterfinal um, uh, and they beat West Ham and um, eventually ended up beating Arsenal in the final at Wembley. And so, of course, um, being a, a, a big football fan, um, I did have a brief flirtation whereby I went to Chelsea one weekend and if Swindon were at home the next weekend, I would go up down on the train um, to watch Swindon. So um, a brief flirtation. It lasted until probably I really got back to, to following Chelsea. I met up with a couple of my old schoolmates and we, we went to Chelsea on a regular basis after that. So So a brief flirtation with Swindon back in the very late 60s. It sounds like you're a bit of a football tart here, doesn't it? <laughs> How many football teams have you... <laughs> um, yeah, no, I mean, that's, that's interesting. I didn't know that about the Swindon element as well. Um, but, uh, yeah, it, interesting. And, and how did you come to get involved with the Albion as being another um, focus of attention? Um, basically, through Kirsty. Um, we both worked for the Prudential Insurance Company. Um, I worked at Hammersmith. Kirsty worked at uh, the office in Brighton. Um, the crew eventually decided that they were going to um, close down a number of offices around the country and make basically five big regional service centres that would take over from these offices around the country. Uh, one of them was in London, um, and that included the offices at Watford, um, Southend, Hammersmith, which is where I worked, and Brighton, which was where Kirsty worked, and also Croydon as well. Uh, I left Croydon as last, just in case. So, um, uh, so they they amalgamated the five offices, um, and Kirsty came up from from Brighton. I came from Hammersmith, and it was really over the the course of basically a Friday or numerous Friday evenings after work where um, we went into one of the local pubs, sometimes two or three of the local pubs, um, but <laughs> invariably, because most of us were, were blokes at the time, we all supported various teams. Um, it basically, the conversation at, at some point got round to football. Um, but Kirsty, being a Brighton fan, um, going with her dad for quite a few years, um, obviously knew all about Brighton. Um, at the time, I knew a, a, a bit about Brighton. Not, I wasn't particularly au fait with what they did. My real um, first real senses of Brighton were back in, obviously, 83 with the FA Cup final against Manchester United. And what um, perked my interest was, of course, the, 
superb way Brighton arrived at the um, the stadium in the British Caledonian helicopter and um, already being a little bit of an aviation uh, geek, if you like, wouldn't have been the word in those days. But um, of course, it was just fascinating to see them arrive in a in a helicopter. No, no other team, to my memory, has ever done it since either. Um, so that's what perked my interest in Brighton. Um, so really, we we met through the Prudential. Mm. And Kirsty, obviously a Brighton fan through and through. Are you a Brighton girl then? Is that your neck of the woods or is it somewhere else in Sussex? Um, well, I was born in Eastbourne but grew up in Seaford um, and then sort of was interested in, in watching the football from a very early age um, in sort of where, where Dad would disappear to on a Saturday um, and watching the, <laughs> the, 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 watching the big match. In fact, Dad would joke, sort of joke, and he said, I was watching my, my first FA Cup final about the age of about four, four months, propped up in a chair and it, it, to keep me quiet. <laughs> um, so, yeah, it was sort of like, you know, Dad, Dad was, a, you know, was a sort of, you know, a regular at, at Brighton home and away. Um, and when he thought I was sort of like old, old enough that wouldn't get bored, you know, I, I went along to, one, one of the games sort of with him and a couple of his friends um and he thought well well yeah she you know she, she is interested in this and you know we'll, we'll watch a whole game um and it sort of, sort of increased from there and getting a season ticket one of those little paper ones that you know sort of you put, used to pull out the coot the, the coupons and I was sort of used to stand sort of stand on the sort of like the west lower terrace sort of sort of terrace and that and had a season ticket literally from about the 81, 82 season onwards. Um, and then, Brilliant. and sort of like, and when sort of, should, should we say, sort of dad reached a certain age, it was sort of, of, of about 40 odd, it was sort of like deemed he, you know, perhaps he should go in the in the seats. So we, 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 we moved to, to the seats <laughs> in the, in, in the, in the West, West stand. And, and that's where sort of Tony, when he first started sort of, Coming along to game games, you know, if we could get him a sort of seat near nearby us, in, up in the West End, then then he come come and join us if, you know, if, if Chelsea weren't at home. So that's where it sort of pretty pretty much sort of started. And so was it um, a mixture of season tickets and on the day sales for those seats? Because I, I never really went in that area. I very very rarely did I go in that area. Um, so was it a mixture then? So you could buy tickets quite near season ticket holders, that kind of thing. Yeah, 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 yeah. There were certainly the odd, odd seats which, you know, hadn't gone to season ticket holders. So yeah, it's you know most of the time it, it was you know it was fairly easy to get one you know pretty close by. Hmm. Yeah, that's that's good, excellent, and yeah, I mean so that, so that's that's brilliant. And in terms of the sort of the first players, so you're saying eighty one, eighty two um, was your, when you had your season ticket. So you so when did you when was your first game? Was it? A little bit before that, am I going yeah. right? Yeah, yeah, as I say, uh, as I say, you know, probably sort of, you know, late seventies or like, you know, into the mm. early, you know, early eighties. But yeah, uh, it's about the same as me, actually. Yeah, mm. and who were your? I guess it's going to be some of the same as mine. But who were your favourite players growing up? And you know, the icons that you remember from the Goldstone days and those early Goldstone days. Oh, um, I mean, sort of. Some of the players he used to like um, was sort of, you know, um, 
sort of as, as defender wise was 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 like was Gary sort of Gary Stevens. Um, I mean, you had obviously the likes of uh, like for the FA Cup squad. Obviously, you know you got sort of Robinson and Smith must score and. <laughs> Yeah, obviously, yeah. I mean, obviously, sort of a more um, sort of legendary bits. There's obviously captain. There's obviously was Fozzie, but you know, was Fozzie and so. Yeah, that's it. So posters but, on the wall. I'm, I'm going to guess Gary Stevens because you you mentioned him first. Was that the poster mm-hmm. on the wall? There's a smirk going on already. <laughs> <laughs> I'm, I'm guessing yeah, that's a um, yes. <laughs> oh yeah, yeah, collect, yeah, collect. Yeah, collect. Uh, collecting all the programs, I've got I don't know how many different al- albums full of you know sort of full of the old pro- sort of programs dating back to then. Yeah, I, yeah, I'm a bit of a program collector. I've lost all my old ones for reasons I won't bore you with here, but um, <laughs> uh, just just I'm still angry with my wife over that one. But um, uh, <laughs> Peter, do you do you get programs, Peter, as well? I used to. I haven't done for quite a while, but I still have about four boxes full upstairs in hmm. uh, in my house, so I still have That's quite a lot. But... That's why you moved, isn't it, really? Just to get a bigger yeah, house to accommodate more. Yeah. I had to move to South London to put my programmes in, basically. Um, <laughs> yeah, I, don't, I don't tend to buy them very often these days because I'm quite often, I just don't end up reading them, so I've not bothered for a while. I think there's still a few mm. like Hereford and Doncaster games I've still got somewhere and um, Liverpool away from the first season I went when we drew to all there and, and the cup. So there's a few. And Tony, be- being as you've got season tickets with two clubs, which is are probably not unique. In fact, I know it. I know it isn't, but it it must be pretty rare. Do you that? Do you get programs? And if so, do you get them for both teams? Because <laughs> that starts getting expensive as well, doesn't it? <laughs> um, yes, I do get the programs. Um, what I tended to do um, uh, when I was back at the prudent, or when. I was back at the Prudential quite late on before we were both made redundant was that um, there was a gentleman who lived in Sussex, uh, sorry, Suffolk, beg pardon, um, who knew a uh, young lad who was disabled and was a Chelsea fan, but couldn't get to Stamford Bridge. And he asked me if I would actually um, get a programme uh, and send it on to him so that he could send the program on to um, the young lad that he knew. So um, for a while, I got the programs and and sent them on to the gentleman uh, until um, eventually, I think it was a case of I was probably sending in far too many programs. Um, and he he said that, um, you know, the, the lad was now sort of um, uh, not really needing them anymore, maybe... Um, various circumstances had uh, occurred where he didn't need the program. So, um, but I still get them. Um, we still buy one at the Amex when we arrive. Um, we still, oh, I still get one um, at Stamford Bridge. And we also get them from the away games that we attend. Um, I don't always read them, to be fair. I mean, I, I, it's quite often just a glance through. Um, back in the days at Stamford Bridge, about the only good thing in the programme was Ken Bates' programme notes. Um, <laughs> I can Ken, imagine. <laughs> yeah, um, as you can imagine, Ken didn't mix his, mince his words. Um, if he had a bee in his bonnet, he would let it be known and he would put it in print. 
Uh, and if any um, person got upset with it, well, you were quite happy to sue him and he would take you on. Um, I like the and... idea of suing over something put in a football programme. <laughs> <laughs> Um, and of course, uh, a lot of a lot of what he was saying was around the time of when Chelsea were on um, the verge of collapse. Let's face it, um, mm. the ground had been um, very much like Brighton and Hove Albion. The ground had been sold to a property developer um, with regards to uh, I don't care about the football. I just want the money for the the site in in Southwest London. Um, so um, it was sold by the owning family of Chelsea at the time um, to a property development company. Um, Bates came along and um, bought the actual football club without actually owning the ground at the time. Um, And he was determined to basically um, do as much as he can uh, or could at the time um, to stop the ground being sold and redeveloped. And so he took... The company was originally called, um, I'm not quite sure which way around it was, it was either Marler Estates and then, then they became Cabra Estates or the, the, the vice versa. I'm not quite sure which way around it is. Um, but basically he, he stymied them at every single attempt to try to um, stop the ground being um, redeveloped. And he would go into print in the programme and, and let the fans know his side of um, what was happening because Marler and Cabra just had no uh, interaction with with the fans at all. Um, And, okay, Ken was a cantankerous sort of person. Um, He would rub people up the wrong way, but arguably he's the man who who saved Chelsea Football Club at that time. Mm. And, yeah, I mean, they really were in dire straits, weren't they? I mean, did did he buy them for sort of two pints of lager and a a pack of the fag sort of price. I think it was one of those kind of stories or um, not, not, not quite, quite so your much. 50, not quite <laughs> your 56 pound, whatever it was. Um, yeah. That, um, yes. Well, that's, mm. yeah, that's for a later Mr. story, Arthur. I guess. Yeah. Um, Mr. Ar- 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 I can't quite pronounce his name. Uh, the Yes, basically it was, I, I think it was almost like the one pound and take on all the debt. Um, mm. And um it, it was, I would guess, a bit of a um, um, a personal thing at the time where if you were a football chairman, you were, you know, sort of uh, the big wig in the area. Um, look at all the, the teams, especially, should we say, up in the northwest where the chairman was basically the big wig in the town. Um, and mm. I think Ken Bates... Um, who I think had been involved in Oldham. I'm not quite sure, but somewhere up in the Northwest. Um, uh, he, he now had bought a football club in Southwest London, a prime location, um, very rich area. Um, so I think it was, again, one of those projects where, you know, he, he could raise his, his profile. And they weren't always top. Everyone thinks of them now, of course, as a top flight club, very well established, very high profile but they weren't always although always they've been a, a reasonable sized club of quite a big club they weren't always in the top flight or at that high profile were they and um i think for example when the albion dropped out of the top flight after that first stint i think i'm right in saying chelsea were in division two already at the time and we played them early that season i think that's right anyway um but they, they'd I believe often spent, so, yeah 
yeah, they'd spend time around that level, and um, it was so, so interesting times. When, when did Ken Bates actually buy them? Actually, in fact, I can't remember what that was now. Um, oh, good, good Hate question. Someone, uh, I think Google is your friend on that one. Um, <laughs> yeah, look it up, uh, everyone. <laughs> yeah, um, but it, it was yes, I would say early eighties. Um, just yeah. as a, uh, just as a guess. Um, the the thing was that um, you're quite right that um, Chelsea were um, a club that flattered to deceive. I think was um, the the thing at the time in the fact that um, they were in a very salubrious location in southwest London, but totally underachieved. Um, I mean, mm. there was um, a um, winning of the first division in 1955, and then basically nothing till. A 1967 FA Cup final against Tottenham, which they lost, and then 1970 when the, the um, you know sort of uh, infamous Leeds FA Cup final, um, both the original game at Wembley and then the the game at Old Trafford. Um, so they've done nothing, absolutely nothing. Um, after 1970, they had uh, a win in the F, uh, the Cup Winners' Cup, where they beat. Real Madrid in Athens after a replay and frankly that was about it um so when I followed Chelsea um I was trying to think back when I when my first game was and I vaguely remember it was around about 1965 so I was about um eight years old um and for a long long time um Chelsea were just pretty dire um, they really were. Um, they had they had little money. They'd sold their best players, for example, Ray Wilkins, etc., in the uh, to Manchester United. Obviously, came back to to haunt Brighton in the eighty three mm. Cup final. Um, but um, most of the players were pretty average, run of the mill players, or players reaching the very end of their um, um, uh, careers. Um, so no, um, I. I used to follow them and invariably they lose um they were not um the the big boys that that you, you most people regard now um so yeah I, I went through some very very rough times a number of relegations um uh and yeah it, it was pretty grim times at, at certain periods or for long periods in fact Chelsea would have a good season if they got to the fourth round of the FA Cup and that was it uh, yeah, uh, certainly it was a different time. Um, so in terms of the time, the time scale involved, so you became a fan roughly when was that? And, and who were your early icons and uh, cult heroes in your early formative days as a Chelsea fan? Um, as I say, I think my first um, game going was around about 1965. Um, and... In those days, I, I can't really remember if I had any real um, heroes as such. It was it was just the, the fact of watching the team. Um, and in those days, um, it wasn't particularly um, unheard of to basically have your mum give you a few few shillings and basically on a Saturday be told to clear off and go down the football. Um, my dad um, worked six days a week, so he 
couldn't take me to the football on the Saturday. But you went with your your schoolmates. Um, you know, three or four of you would go off to to the game. Um, as I, uh, in fact, um, I always remember my first evening game. The, the first evening game that my dad took me to was in 1966. Um, uh, Chelsea played Real Madrid in a charity game. Um, November 66, I think. Uh, and that's when I really um, started to probably look at the players more. Um, and so in those days, it would have been John Hollins. Um, it would have been Bobby Tambling. Um, so the, Peter Bonetti, um, those sort of players. Um, so it was a case of uh, you gradually, um, you started to, get know, to know the team far more you didn't just go for the, the spectacle of, of being at a game you actually got more into um some of the the sort of tactics etc and uh you watch players a little bit more deeply etc etc um and in fact if if you you look at my early memories of sort of um players that i i noticed um you, you'd watch the likes of peter osgood come through um, um, and all that Charlie Cook, etc. When we got into the seventies, etc. Um, so you know, a lot of the players that became fairly well known, but probably wouldn't have been at the time because Chelsea couldn't afford to buy the big players. Invariably, they sold the, the better players that they had. Hmm. Well, I know Peter, you'll be thinking the same as me. Those shillings he was given to take to the games, I bet he sharpened some of them and threw them as an opposition fan. It looks like a troublemaker, doesn't it? <laughs> 50 character. <laughs> <laughs> um, and just going back to Kirsty, um, on the matter of the, sort of the earlier days when you were first going to games, we, we've mentioned something on a similar subject before, but um, we, did you find you were um, one in... One in one in a, not in a one in a million, but uh, one in one in a few hundred when you're at the games. And in other words, did you see many other females at the matches? Because in those days, it wasn't so typical, was it, as it, as it would be today? Um, and how did you feel about that? Was it uh, something you've seen change a lot um, in those early times? Yeah, I mean, the the, the word the word that meant sort of obviously sort of uh, sort of, sort of going, uh, but. I, I, probably at the time when I first started going, it, it probably didn't didn't really occur, sort of, you know, sort of occur to me, you know, or, or, or strike as, as, as odd. But um, I mean, sort of, as I say, as elevated from, as I say, from the sort of, from the terraces to, to the seats. Yes, there were more. The, perhaps there were more women up in the up in up in up in some in in, in where I was where I was sat. Um, um so yeah it, 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 i think it obviously depended on where you were in sort of in in, in the ground i mean I, I i never actually got or went went into the into the door stand there i think on a on the odd occasion i was on the on the on the east Te- east terrace when we i think for one of the cup time ties i think it was the norwich game where it was so crowded and full already over I sort of over, sort of over where I would normally go that we had to go over and and, and stand on on the east, and I think my first game I think I was in was in the south stand before there were ever seats in there, and it was very yeah you know, I seem to remember it was very, it was very low down at the fr- at, at the front before that before it became sort of seat sort of seating so 
Um, yeah. So, but yeah, yeah I mean, yes, it, it has you know greatly sort of changed over the years, and, and the fact that you know more women are you know and and girls are going. It's very mm. similar to Chelsea as well. I mean, when I um, even into the eighties um, uh, and possibly even later than that, um, you very rarely saw uh, women at football. Um, I would potentially argue that um, Chelsea may not have been the right club for a, um, a lady to follow, um, given the um, the reputation, shall we say, of um, uh, a number of the uh, Chelsea supporters at the time. Um, so, yeah, I, I would agree. I, um, I would can't really remember seeing that many um, females at games, although we now have a, a few females around us, certainly at Stamford Bridge, and they've always said that they went, perhaps, perhaps a bit like Kirsty says, they were up in the in the stands, whereas we were on the terracing. So you very rarely see um, a, a, a lady on the terraces. Hmm. And so things certainly have changed quite a bit. Um, I'm wondering about, in both your cases, actually, what your other wider opinions are on how football culture has changed through the decades from when you first started going to games. I mean, I mean, some things obvious, obvious aren't they? You know, the TV money and all that sort of thing. But do you think the, in the wider picture, the culture has changed a lot in the, in the terms of the, just the football going experience? Um, I mean, it's, yeah, it certainly has. I mean, if you look at the sort of like, um, obviously Brighton and the Amex. It, I mean, the whole thing is is to do with the, the you know the whole match experience is sort of like you know before beforehand and sort of like well you know when when it's nice outside you know obviously we used to have the bat and you know, the entertainment you know some you know somewhere to meet and meet up and have 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 a drink the game you know if you wanted to stay around afterwards it was the whole social sort of element to it whereas so back 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 in the sort of in, in the gold golds and you know it wasn't it wasn't that sort of sort of really sort of that sort of set sort of set up because of the sort of like the infrastructure there it, you know you met up in a pub in, in a pub probably beforehand and then went to the game and then obviously back probably back to the pub afterwards it there wasn't the whole as they say match day experience sort of, you know actually at the at the stadium like you get these days yeah, yeah i think the the also the um similar um, at Stamford Bridge in the fact that it is now, um, dare I say, we're regarded, um, it, it's probably um, a, a way of saying that um, even though it's a family experience um, that Chelsea are looking for, the problem that I find is that the cost of the tickets doesn't really make it a family experience because if um, a father at Stamford Bridge has his two kids there, it's going to cost him quite a lot for a day out if you include a programme, maybe a couple of burgers, um, that sort of thing. Um, so whilst Chelsea have tried to make it a family experience, and there is a family area at Stamford Bridge, um, and there are obviously concessions for younger um, adults, etc., younger children as well, um, it's still quite an expensive place to go to. 
Um, so it, it, whilst it's great to see um, young young lads going there with their dad because you hope that they'll remain Chelsea supporters um, and you do see the odd family. When you, when you think about it, and um, there are a couple of people who sit near us who do have family members, they do tell us, well, I brought along so-and-so today. Um, I brought along another person the next day uh, for the next game because they can't afford to bring them all on for the same game. Hmm. Yeah, well, I mean, I um, I know you two from, as I mentioned earlier, from Seagulls over London. I, I think I joined about 15 years ago. You two were both there at the time. So was Peter. So um, maybe the next bit is over to you, Peter, to ask um, anything to do with uh, yeah, with Sol, as we call it. Yeah, because yeah, as Russ says, we, we all know each other from Seagulls over London. Where do you, when did you guys, how long have you been there now? How long have you been member members? Um. Good question. Um, um, you went to the first one, didn't you? I went to a Seagulls over London meeting before Kirsty. Um, or I knew Kirsty at the time, and we were together, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. But um, I, I can't quite remember what date it would be. I mean, I'm sure um, way back in the you know the annals of uh, Seagulls over London, probably find where I first um, came along. Um, but what it was, was that I happened to be, um, and I'd already been going to, to Brighton on a number of occasions and obviously um, didn't know that many Brighton fans, to be fair, uh, outside of Kirsty and her immediate um, uh, family, etc. But I was working late at, um, or where I eventually moved to, um, which was JP Morgan, um, and I was working late and I'd noticed somewhere and I can't remember whether it was in one of the programs or whether whether it even might have been something on um, one of the Internet pages, North Stand Chat, for example, that there was a Seagulls over London meeting for, you know, Brighton fans who either work or live in London. Now, OK, yes, I've been to Brighton uh, on a number of occasions and I've uh, been away um on the odd occasion with them um but I thought well do I actually go home just cook a meal and sit down and watch the telly or shall I go along and, and see you know who these people are um introduce myself um see if I'm hounded out of the place immediately and um you know uh, barred from ever attending again um so I went along and um it was Paul Welsh um God rest his soul, who um, was uh, the chairman there then. And um, he was very welcoming, um, you know, sort of uh, had a, a brief chat sort of thing. And he, he was, you know, sort of, oh, no, come on in, you know, ask whatever questions you want. Don't, you know, sort of uh, make yourself, almost make yourself at home sort of thing. Um, so it was it was very good. So, and I um, mentioned to Kirsty. Um, the next day that I'd been to Seagulls over London and you know there'll be another meeting in uh, you know a couple of months or whatever it used to be um, do you fancy coming along? Yeah, did you go and see Bob Booker? Might have been Bob Booker who actually was the guest speaker at the time yes on that that particular evening yes. Oh there we go just two two guest episodes ago it was uh, that very man 
um, sitting where you are, so to speak. Not literally, that would have been a bit weird. Um, but <laughs> yeah, so so you actually, so Tony got you to come along, Kirsty. That was how it works. Okay. Yeah. This yeah. Is, before my time, because for anyone that doesn't know, Paul Welsh, as, as you mentioned, the chairman also was the founder, I think, wasn't he? Of, the, of yeah. it. It's been going a good, what, 25 odd years, I think, um, something around then. And I think, um, I think it might be more, yeah. And, that, and it's changed venues, hasn't it, through the years? Because yeah. I, I joined in the era when they were at the Royal Oak, which it was at for a very long time. I think we all um, did. Yeah. I think we all joined during a football. Yeah. I, I yeah. yeah. <laughs> and then. More recently, we've gone to the Sir Christopher Hatton to get a bigger capacity for our increasing membership. Um, but My yeah, the Royal Oak is... was a uh, was a brewery tour, so I did pretty well out of that. <laughs> <laughs> what a surprise! <laughs> he says and takes a sip of beer just <laughs> just for the bargain. Uh, brilliant. But yeah, that's good. And you guys have always been good value. You always ask some good questions to the, whoever the guests are, and I think. Um, well, you always add something to the uh, to those meetings. I think um, definitely you you are That's part of the kind. furniture. <laughs> very kind, <laughs> and I mean part of the furniture in a good way. By the way, um, oh good. <laughs> um, I think so, uh, sorry. I, um, just about seagulls over London. Um, since we're on the subject, I just find it um, you know a really um, good evening. I look forward to them. Um, it's even if we don't happen to have a guest. Um, you know, it, it's a chance. To, I mean, I wouldn't have known you guys um, apart from going to Seagulls over London. Um, and that's obviously, that's a bad thing for it, though. <laughs> yeah, I was going to say, it's not all bad news, though. <laughs> um, and of course, it, it's a case of once you get to know a few people, um, you uh, might meet them in the ground. I know that the, the, the Bevans sit in the um, stand where we are, although further along etc and um, we see a number of people quite often on the train going down or on the train coming back we bumped into Pete and his dad on a number of occasions etc etc so once you get to know people of course you you know you you get to chat to them um, and we occasionally uh, when we used to be able to go to away games, um, you know, we did bump into each other on, on occasions and it's, uh, you know, wave, hello, good chat, that sort of thing. Um, so it's a very personable group. Um, and I've never had any sort of um, feelings of not feeling welcome there at all. And of course, the ability at the time of, of Paul Welsh and subsequently, obviously, Roger Bevan, um, along with um, uh, Paul Camelin as well, et cetera, um, to actually get um, some pretty high profile guests to come along is quite superb because um, at Chelsea, um, yes, they have a supporters club. Of course they do. Um, but we're not members of that supporters club. Um, we've only been to one Chelsea event as such um, which was a question and answer session with Carlo Ancelotti and the late great Ray Wilkins Um, Mm. but I would never have um, had the same sort of feeling I don't think um, if it with going to that sort of Chelsea type meeting as to going to Seagulls over London it's great it's it's quite a um, an uh, an eye-opening meetings at times when you do chat to these people who are 
behind the scenes. They know the ins and outs of things. They can tell you some great stories that, you know, it was always to be a case of, well, it doesn't go outside these four walls, but so, um, uh, and fair enough. Um, you know, I think as, as a group, we were very good in not um, going immediately onto places like North Stanchat to say, do you know, I've just heard, you know, this, this, this that and the other. So um <laughs> Now, I, I found the group very personable, and I'm so glad that I actually joined. And glad, obviously, Kirsty came along as well. Yeah, absolutely. Here, here to that. Yeah, because I mean, yeah. especially me growing up in London, I never actually lived in Brighton, so I don't, I didn't really know any Brighton fans except like my dad and his friends. Until I kind of, yeah, I, you know, I knew a few people, but not many. So it's been really, been really good. And as you say, kind of, then you get to know other people as well through other people, and yeah, it's a. Uh, I can't wait to actually, we can start going to a pub again and having proper meetings in the pub. <laughs> yeah. Oh, you missed that, do you, Peter? What a surprise. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I've finished my beer. I have to get another one in there. Um, <laughs> um, but um, yeah, I mean, it, it, it is true. It's, it's, it's like a community feel, isn't it? Just a, a local, a cosy club, if you like. Although it's grown exponentially. I think on average, we've probably had about 25 members through the years when I was first going, but it's, it's, we've gone into three figures now with membership, uh, which is great. And um, it seems to have kept the general dynamic overall, I think largely helped by the fact we've been able to do loads of Zoom meetings for post-match chats and stuff like that since the, uh, the lockdown issues have come into play. Um, but, you know, that's, that's um, certainly something that's, that's great. Instead, we're going to take a break in a minute. We're doing a poll on who we, what we think the outcome of the game is going to be on Tuesday. And I have to say it is very close. At the moment, stunning win for Albion is winning the poll. And it's about to close as we speak. Um, 38% of the poll. I'll update that later on. How many times um, have you voted, Russ? Sorry? How many times have you voted on that poll? <clears throat> Um, 97, yeah, <laughs> so far. But, uh... How many votes have there been? <laughs> um, 97, yeah, it's quite, quite coincidental numbers there. Um, in fact, it, it has just ended, but I'm, I'm going to leave that one as a, as a cliffhanger. I'm sure everyone is, is just beside themselves with excitement to find out what the opinion of a random bunch of Albion fans are on Twitter. But we'll come back to that one later on. Um, on the subject of yeah, seagulls over London, just to wrap up on that. Yeah, it's grown, but we've kept the, the general essence of it. And I think you guys made me welcome when I first came along. And we hope if there's anyone listening who lives or works in the in the uh, London area and wants to join up, you're welcome to do so. It's free to join if you fall into that criteria at the moment. And we've got Brian Horton, for example, coming to the next meeting next week. So, you know, we get some good guests. As, as you guys all know, we've had... We've had Tony Bloom a few times. We've had Paul Barber a few times. Martin Perry, Dick Knight, uh, Gordon Smith, um, Adam Virgo, of course. And back in his... Uh, who was that, sorry? Gus Poyet back in the day of his time. And I was just going to say, yeah, Gus Poyet, which Great went meeting. during his time as a manager with us. So that was a brilliant coup. I think it was just after we beat Southampton, wasn't it? Because I think he was waxing lyrical about that one. Yeah, um, that was a great evening. And and loads more besides. And it, it's good. If you if you happen to be eligible to join, please do so. I think it's www.seagullsoverlondon.com, I think, isn't it? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, for anybody that wants to join, as I said, it's free at the moment. Normally, as a membership fee during uh, active pub going times. As I said, Peter's lamenting that, and um, I can see him dribbling from his mouth, hoping to get back to the pub soon. <laughs> and I mainly look to the return to the Gladstone for the podcast and the uh, the, the chicken tikka pie. 
<laughs> yeah, that's it. Yeah, the Gladstone, it's reopened, but they've got a very small sort of outside upper floor terrace space. So we're not going to go back until pubs are fully open properly and things are calmed down slightly. But I am looking forward to that. The the chicken tikka pie and a pint of Hepcat will do me just fine. And on that rather uh, salivating note, we're going to break for the uh, for a quick uh, pause while I go and get another beer. And um, <laughs> we'll be back in just a moment. Stay tuned, everybody. Podcast Network.